0: We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And this time we have an interview with Robert Kerbeck. This is a really interesting one. Definitely, you know, another one that's uh, a little bit different than our usual go-to with an entrepreneur, small business owner. Robert started out as an aspiring actor. He did make his way into a bunch of TV shows. So he he was a working actor for a while, but then eventually made the career jump into corporate sorry, <laughs> corporate espionage and corporate spying for, uh, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 500 companies trying to gain information on their competitors. So we go a lot into that. And, you know, we touched on some of his tactics and his history in the growth of that side and starting up his own firm. But we also speak on his new book, which came out about nine months ago, which is related to his story of becoming a corporate spy. And that's called Ruse. Um, Robert is a great guy great conversation and uh you know he's got some things coming up ruse is being turned into a show right now actually so he's helping out a lot with that as um like an associate producer in a way um but yeah thanks again robert and hope you guys enjoy this episode
1: Guys, just wanted to shout out Zencaster, our platform of choice for recording remotely with our guests. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, so tune in later to hear more about some really great offers. Hey, y'all! We're really excited to tell you about Black Ice, the black-owned jewelry business owned by Sean Moore, uh, our previous guest on the Black Box podcast. If you think, if you think about it, Black Ice and like Black Box it's like it's it's almost like it's meant to be. Oh,
0: exactly. Um yeah, but you know we like to focus on investing in the show. So, you know, we kind of look at it as we're partnering up with a asset class, you know, jewelry is considered an investment and with the, you know, stock market and crypto being pretty volatile right now and most for the most part going down, um jewelry, especially precious metals, you know, gold and silver, those tend to preserve their value really well. So, you know, that's also another reason why we think it's a a good opportunity. But also, you know, I've worked with Sean in the past. I got a gift from my mother actually for Mother's Day. It was a pretty, a relatively custom piece, nothing crazy, but, you know, Sean was quick. He was easy. He was responsive. The price was fair. And, you know, we just met up and transaction was easy and my mom loved the gift.
1: So. Yeah. If this all sounds good to you, check out Black Ice's website at Black Ice NYC um, and at all socials and Uh, there's a V instead of an A for the black. So as you guys are probably used to with little letter substitutions by us, but you could find stock goods there. And Sean also specializes in custom goods with quick turnaround times.
0: Yeah. Uh, Sean does great custom pieces. I've seen a bunch of them on his social media, but, um, yeah, he's also good for sourcing, you know, like watches, specific Rolexes, anything like that they are looking for. He can also get you a better price. And, you know, if you're going to, you know, a bigger name shop or someone that you don't really know that might try to gouge you on the price. So along with that, it's also supporting an upcoming entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. He just celebrated his one year anniversary of the business, had a really nice party. And, um, Let's get back to the show. Alrighty. Hey, Robert, really appreciate you coming on and us being able to, you know, square away a date for this. I know I canceled on you once, (laughs) but Uh, uh, why don't you you just take a minute to introduce yourself and then we'll get started. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for having
2: me. Uh, Yeah, my name is Robert Kerbeck and um, I've got this book out called Ruse, Lying the American Dream from Hollywood to Wall Street uh, from Penguin Random House which is the crazy but true story of how one of the actor became the world's greatest corporate spy. Um, And um, yeah, so it's it's my story about how as a young guy, I was trying to be an actor. Actors need survival jobs. And I stumbled into this career as a corporate spy. Um, At first, I kind of didn't really know what the heck that was. And then as time went on, I went from basically getting $8 an hour when I started doing this job in the early 90s to at one point I was making $2 million a year um, spying for the uh, largest uh, publicly traded companies in the world.
0: Wow. Okay. So um, I guess in terms of the acting, have you always been based out of the area you are now? So I know it's kind of the hub for acting. Were you just trying to make it? Was- and then you realize that you got to give it up at some point or yeah well you know
2: um i um my hometown is philadelphia um i moved to new york and so i brotherly did a lot love. of yeah brotherly love thank you fly eagles fly we had a we had a tough loss in the super bowl but it was a great season yeah. um so, yeah, so I moved to New York and I did a lot of really uh, great stage work. I mean, I, I starred in plays. I got uh, amazing reviews in the New York Times and the New Yorker magazine. I starred opposite James Gandolfini from The Sopranos when he was a, oh, wow. a young actor like me with nothing going on. Um, I used to go see James perform in basements with six people in the audience. Um, I did a, I starred opposite Callista Flockhart, who became a big star and is married to Harrison Ford, um, so I was a working actor. But even so, you know, stage doesn't pay a lot of money. Um, and then at a certain point, I moved to Los Angeles, my agent sent me to LA and I did about 50 major TV shows I did Star Trek, ER, NYPD Blue, Melrose oh, wow. Place, you know, on and on and on, you know, if it was on in the 90s and early 2000s. I did it. And um, um, and so the corporate spying was always kind of, you know, my survival job. Oh, it was just temporary. I, you know, I was going to be famous. I was going to make it big. And at a certain point, um, I booked a whole bunch of pilots and none of the pilots that I booked got picked up. And that was the moment where all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know, maybe this acting career isn't going to, you know, maybe I'm not going to be a big giant star um, or, or even be able to buy a home or, or have a family. And that was the moment where all of a sudden corporate spying Corporations were hearing about me. They were learning about me. Um, obviously, I, I don't. You don't advertise being a corporate spy for obvious yeah. reasons. But word of mouth was out there, and so all of a sudden, more and more companies started coming at me, and they just started throwing money at me. And uh, basically, I took it. Uh, and that was the moment where I kind of crossed over to the dark side of corporate espionage and uh, went pretty deep into. Um, doing some crazy things, uh, again, for, you know, the largest companies and some of the, you know, uh, smallest companies, uh, private companies that are also, um, you know, we all know the Russians uh, spy on the Chinese and the Chinese spy on us. Obviously, we had the recent, uh, you know, the balloon incident. Mm -hmm. Um, But what most people were shocked to find out is that corporations, large and small, public and private, spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year to spy on each other.
0: Okay, so <clears throat> I guess I'm, I'm just going to start and say, how do you like get the jobs? I know you said it's word of mouth, but is it like you're being hired by the company to spy on itself, or you're being hi- hired by a company to spy on a competitor?
2: It's always in my in my uh, career. It was always high, I was always hired to spy on competitors, right? Okay. Um, you know, we 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 chatted just now briefly about football, and you know, you think about if you could get the playbook. On your opponent, you know, two or three days before the Super Bowl, before the big game, how valuable? Yeah. My God, come on! It would be, you know, it would be incredibly valuable. And so that's what corporations want spies to do. They want to know what their competitors up to. They want to know uh, who the top talent is at their competitor. Um, they want to know uh, are they are they expanding? Are they contracting? Are they moving in locations? What's their pricing? New products? Anything and everything that can give my client. A competitive advantage, you know. And again, to, uh, you, to use the football analogy, we know how competitive it is to win the Super Bowl. We know how competitive it is to win the NBA championship. Corporate America is the same. Yeah. You know, the, these people want to win. You know, we'll Elon. Elon. That's right. Elon Musk wants to win. Right. Jeff Bezos wants to win. You know, if you're a C level executive at a firm, you want to win because that's how you keep your job. That's how your stock price of your company goes up. That's how you get a bigger bonus check. And so you're willing to do anything and everything to
0: win. And I guess my next question would be is, have you ever gotten into like legal complications because of this? How legal are the things that you're doing or illegal? I guess I could say you're, you're also not doing these activities anymore, right? Like you're, you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I you can, be a, you can share some of the secrets and things. Like that's that. you right. Wouldn't, I w- you wouldn't I, be out here yet. <laughs> I wouldn't have
2: written the book ruse and that's outed right. myself as a spy. If I uh, was still spying, that wouldn't be very Makes smart. Yep, right? yep, yeah. Just yeah. To make yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, so, um, I think, um, it's a, it's, you know, when we first started doing this job, you know, we were just actors and we were nervous about the legality of it. And so we went and we met with an attorney and the attorney said, uh, that what we were doing was in the gray, the very dark gray. He said, I, you know, I, I don't know of anyone who's ever been, you know, prosecuted for the stuff that you're doing, but I'm not saying it could not happen. And certainly uh, if a particular company learned that you were spying on them and they felt like, you know, secrets had been revealed or what, you know, whatever, um, it was not without, it was not outside the realm of possibility that, um, they could come after you and, you know, without spoiling it for, you know, any potential listeners who want to buy my book or, or get it on audible. Cause I I, I narrated the audio book, which is kind of cool because, cool. you know, it's my, it's my story. It's true. So it made sense for me to narrate it. Um, and of course I was a former actor. So, um, but um, yeah, you know, we, we had some close calls with the authorities. Let me just leave it at that. At one point, we were being hunted by basically every authority in the US. Uh, they had stumbled onto our trail because they thought we were the most famous hacker in the world, and they thought that we were trying to shut down the internet. This is 90s when the internet was just becoming commercially accessible, and they thought that's what we were trying to do. And we had to explain, no, 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 we're just corporate spies. It's not that bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's different. It's different. We, that that leads me into a good point that we were talking about before we started the recording is uh, what you're doing wasn't, you know, hacking where you get into a computer, break some encryptions and you know, access mm-hmm. like the back end database or something. What you were doing was more of people hacking. And I That's guess right. you could you could kind of touch on that a little bit, I think that would be good for everyone.
2: Yeah. Well, so you know, um we we know now today, you know, cybercrime is a massive issue ransomware attacks are huge uh, and just getting uh you know greater every day and more yeah. intense every day uh there's more at stake financially um you know cybercrime I, I think i saw something it's gonna be a trillion dollar industry in the next couple of years um cybersecurity. um and You know, corporations obviously are spending a lot of money to protect their systems, right? Their servers, Mm -hmm. their network, the firewall, the encryption, you know, great, makes a lot of sense. But what they don't do is they don't spend nearly enough time and certainly not enough money working to train and educate their employees so they're just as secure on the human end. And I always say to people, you know, I don't need to hack your systems if I can hack your people, if I can get your people to tell me their password, to explain to me how your system works, w- how it's set up, how the architecture, you know, everything and yeah. you know, anything, then what I do, and, and this is very common, um, or what I would do, because I'm not a spot now, is I would then share that with my hacking cohort, right? So I'd yeah. have all of this information about how... Your systems were set up, and I would use my social engineering to get all kinds of intelligence to make the hacking basically child's play, right? Um, and that's one of the things these ransomware gangs, because they're usually small gangs, it's almost like Mission Impossible where they have two or three or four people on their team, and each person has a skill set. So there's the social engineer; they go in first, they learn all kinds of information then they give that information to the hacker hacker boom gets in does what they need to do then they turn it over to the financial instruments expert because their job is to go okay now we're gonna we're gonna uh, get paid money from this company now because we've shut them down and we're threatening to shut them down Um, Mm -hmm. and we need to make sure we can receive this money in a way that we don't get caught it doesn't get traced back to us you know so you can see how that's why they need these gangs because everybody's got different skill sets and together it's very very difficult to stop that kind of stuff, especially if you're not training your people, especially junior people, you know, young people, you know, that don't know um, um, and are easily, you know, if I'm going to call a junior person to try to get information out of them, and I'm going to pose as some senior executive. Um, and by the way, you know, one of the things we would do because we were all actors, what are good, what are actors good at? Uh-huh. Acting, right? That we're we're yep. good at doing accents. Um, imitating voices, um, creating stories, imp- improvisational skills. And so we would use all of these skills in a social engineering phone call, what I call a ruse phone call, hence the title of my book. Yeah. And we would use all of that. Oh, this is Gerhardt calling from the office in Frankfurt, Germany. <laughs> we have the European Union regulators here. We need some information in the States. And the person on the other end of the phone, what are they going to do? Oh wow! Hey Gerhard, buddy, how's it going? Oh, oh, you're yeah. in our Frankfurt office. Oh, great! Oh, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, you're jammed up. What are people taught? Be a good teammate in corporate America. Or, you know, in, in in corporations all over the world. You know, yeah. fir- firms now have offices everywhere. There's the Dublin office, the London office, the Tokyo office, the Charlotte office, the Dallas office, the San Francisco office, and so now you think you've got a major executive in a foreign office. Maybe you know the person's name. You probably haven't spoken to them, especially if you're a junior person, but you can look them up right away and go, oh my God, I have the head of compliance for Europe on the phone. Wow. I better help him. And now you're telling me all these things you should not tell me because you've not verified me. And that's one of the things that if you're not doing what we call penetration testing, uh, you're a tech guy, you know what that is. A lot of firms hire outside firms to try to break through their systems, to try to hack their systems, but they don't do the same penetration testing on the human side. Is hey, let's see if we can hire Robert and let's see if Robert can break through our human element and get people to tell us stuff that then enables him or his team, if he had a team of hackers, to then hack our systems. And I'm here to tell you, even today, Social engineering phone call, the ruse phone call is alive and well. In 45 minutes, I generally could find out anything I want to know about your company.
0: Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the process becomes much easier. Zencaster is an all-in-one web-based solution that makes the process pretty painless and simple. Um, Zencaster allows to bring you guys, our listeners, the best quality by providing crystal clear audio and gorgeous HD video. When we record with our guests, uh, Zencaster is also easy to use for new users and guests. So, you know, when we have people on the podcast who haven't used a platform before, we pretty much just tell them to show up with a computer mic and uh, headphones, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, Zencaster is pretty plug and play. Uh, but from local recording to automated post-production tools, you don't even have to leave the browser to finish off your episode. Use the code Zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code Blackbox. You'll get 30% off the first three months of Zencaster Pro. It's time to share your story. That's okay, that that was a lot, but that was that's insane. Um, so I mean it totally makes a lot of sense. Were they originally like marketing this job to actors because they knew that they had the skill that they could, you know, incorporate some improv while absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. the, sense.
2: the, The woman who hired me. Uh, who had a spying firm, you know, back in the '90s when I started, and and then eventually I went out on my own and I started my own spying firm, <laughs> and I had people working for me. We only hired actors because you needed an actor. Now, it's, a lot of actors still couldn't do the job. As a matter of fact, yeah. hundreds of people, you know, maybe even thousands of people tried to do this job, and almost none of them worked out because the the combination of skills uh, that you had to have for this job. Obviously you had to have all these acting kind of skills, but you still needed a business sense. You still needed to understand a little bit about how corporations worked.
0: Understand and that so jargon it, a bit.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And if so if you didn't have that combination of skills, you know, um, you know, just a pure actor just often kind of wasn't able to do the job because they didn't understand how to like what the information meant and how to how to kind of dig deep to get it. Um, I come from a business family. My family were entrepreneurs and that that combination of skills is what made me successful.
0: Okay, great, great. And I guess I have a follow-up to this is I don't if you want to save it for the book or if you talk about it in the book, that's okay. But were there any times where you got into some really sticky situations and if you could, you know, maybe just talk about it a little bit where maybe you had to you were in a call and you oh, tell yeah. people we're onto you and then what do you, oh, yeah. what do you do at that point? Do you just back out of the call or you just keep trying yeah. to go and then like.
2: Great question. Fantastic question. As a matter of fact, that's, that's like one of the best questions anyone's ever asked me.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
2: So you've got somebody in the other end of the line. They're not believing you, right? Happens all the time, right? Happens all the time. But what we don't want them to do is we don't want them to pull the fire alarm, right? And all of a sudden they're like, yeah. Hey, I don't believe you. And they hang up the phone and now they send out an email to, you know, uh, cybersecurity or the head of compliance or the head of legal. And then that person now sends an email out to the whole company. Hey, we've got these people fishing. We've got these people trying to hack We don't want that because I don't want everybody. I don't want the alarm bells going off. So what we do is when this person is giving me a hard time and I sense they're not going to give me the information and they're like, you know what? I, you know, I don't believe this. You know what, you know, send me an email right now. Send me an email right now. Well, I can't send them an email right now because it's not yeah. going to come You're from not in the, the system. Yeah. Right. So what I say is, sure, I will send out an email right now and it will tell you exactly what I'm doing, exactly why I'm doing it. I will CC your boss on it. So, you know, everything's okay. And they go, oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. Look, I'm, I'm sorry to give you a hard time, but so, just okay. send me that email. Send me that email. I say, you will have it within an hour. You will have it. Okay. Okay. Look, I didn't mean to be giving you a hard time. I just need to see that email. And then, then no problem. I'll get that to you within an hour. And you know what? I'm a little jammed up. So, you know, if you don't see it within an hour, worst case scenario, I will have it to you by the end of the day. Uh, Okay. Okay. And, 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 And look, if I get really crazy, end of the day or first thing tomorrow, you'll have it. Promise. First thing tomorrow at the latest. Okay, great. Well, what have I done? What have I done? I have put this person to sleep because now they're not pulling the alarm switch. They're waiting on an email that's never going to come. But I bought myself time because now they're not saying anything today, maybe not even tomorrow. And then all of a sudden they're going to go, oh my God, I never got that email from that guy. Meanwhile, I'm now calling somebody else.
0: I was going to say during that time, you're trying to do it to someone else. So you're giving yourself like a window, I guess. Then what in the situation where, um, let's say you try on multiple different people and you pull the same kind of tactic. If they're not believing you, then what happens? You'd kind of just like fall back to the wayside and hope they don't pursue it?
2: Well, look, you know, uh, the reason that I was hired, you know, by the biggest companies in in the world was because I got the information and I didn't get the information. Some of the time I didn't get the information. Most of the time I got the information 99.9999999% of the time. Okay, Okay. And so, we, me, you know, I was very good at sensing when someone was was not going to cooperate. And then I would, like I said, I would put them to sleep. And so if I then called someone else, I would do the same thing to them. But, you know, we were good. We were so good at the job that a lot of times I could hear in your voice the second you got on the phone, whether you were going to give me information or not. And if you weren't, sometimes I would pull out of the call before I even asked a lot of questions before, before you the alarm. Exactly. You know, I'd go, Oh, Hey, you know, I just needed to send him a document. I just needed his title. Oh, you know, he's the senior vice president of compliance. Uh, Okay. That was it. That was all I needed. Great. I'll get that. I'll get that email over to you. Okay. Thank you. You know, and, and I didn't even ask them any suspicious questions about anything. It just, you know, just very generic corporate stuff Um, because I could just tell, that the person, the tone of their voice, that just didn't seem like they were going to be helpful. I'm looking for someone that wants to be my friend, you know. Yeah. So you know, you know, you know. Hey, how's it going? If I get that, that person's not going to help me. But if I go, hey, how's it going? Oh, well, you know, not Another so great. I, yeah, I got, I got to work for a living. How good could I be? Okay, now this person I can work with, right? They're yeah. friendly, and that's what you're looking for: is somebody that wants to want you can establish a rapport with. Um, and then you, you're going to, you're going to work that to your advantage.
0: So when you came on, uh, to the first firm you were working with, was there like a training that they put you through to figure this stuff out, or this was all kind of accumulated over time through trial and error?
2: A little bit of both. I mean, there was some training, but it was pretty, pretty modest. You know, it was pretty much, you were thrown onto the phone, you know, day one, I mean, minute one. Now, what I learned, uh, later on when I started, when I was training spies is I would, um, put people on the phone right away. Cause you had to know if people were going to panic and if they were going to be able to stay on the phone and improvise on the phone. And when they did get busted, which is, you know, what we would call when somebody shut you down, which of course was inevitable. Yeah. Did it, it did it wreck their confidence so that they were like, Oh, I can't do this, which was very often the case. As soon as somebody got shut down hard, They were like, okay, I can't do this job. Whereas other people would go, oh, you know what? I'm going to find a way to get this information. I'm not going to get stopped. And that's what you need to be a corporate spy. You need it, you know. Um, So there was training in the beginning, but most of the stuff that we um, developed in terms of these ploys. Um, You know, in the book, there's the compliance ploy, there's the inside ploy, there's the dropping the grapefruit ploy, you know, there are all these different ploys that I delineate in terms of how we get people to tell us stuff that they should never, ever tell us. And we developed these ploys over time, as we began to learn what worked, what didn't work, and why things didn't work, and then we would change them and correct them, you know.
0: So I guess like your firm, were they around for a while by the time you came on? Or I feel like during the 90s was kind of when this stuff started to really develop. So were you leading the development of the like the technique and the documentation for the technique? Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in the book, there's another character named Pax. And he and I, he's the guy who got me the job in the first place. And he and I were the ones that really developed these, you know, social engineering, you know, ruse techniques, ruse ploys. Um, and you know now, obviously, you know I've written this book, and as a result of you know the book, I get asked to uh, speak to corporations, go to go to uh, conferences. I, I've been to RSA in San Francisco now. Uh, a couple of vendors brought me up there to um, talk to companies because the social engineering phone call, as I said earlier, it's alive and well, and and it's a major element of these ransomware attacks. And so these the ploys that I delineate in ruse are being used today um, for kind of much more serious issues you know we were kind of getting you know basic corporate information um, you know where you know we you know we weren't you know insider trading off of our information we weren't getting the credit card numbers of of, of the elderly you know we you yeah, know yeah. we weren't you know you know, and and that's not to say I'm justifying what I did. And in the book, I reckon with the moral issues of corporate spying. You know, throughout the book, Definitely. but um, but the ransomware attacks, where they're literally shutting down firms and trying to get uh, millions of dollars, and in some cases, significantly more. Um, you know, that's like a whole nother level now. And um, so you know, so now I try to show people how these ploys work and how to stop them. I basically give them the defense you know, to, you know, to what I used to use for offense.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really good that now you're, you've kind of come to terms with the past and what you did and had to do during that time. But now you're willing to, you know, help and put up a defense for other companies. Also, the other point you touched on, especially with crypto now, it's because there's the, you know, anonymity yeah. on the blockchain. It's just a huge problem right now that people are, you know, we're seeing it all the time. Whole exchanges are getting drained of their wallets and user funds, which is, you know, there's going to be a new round of defenses that companies learn and ways to work around that. But I, I think this is an important conversation for that reason too. Um, I'll bring up the book now too, I guess, uh, as we kind of come towards not the final stretch, but we're getting there. Um, I guess uh, what when did you write and release the book first? And then I guess, how did you go about releasing it, marketing it and getting it out to the masses?
2: Sure. So, um, You know, I was at a writer's conference some years ago and I read, you know, just like an early bit from the book and people freaked out about it, you know, and they uh, which was I I, uh, was kind of surprising to me. But basically, you know, they were saying uh, we had no idea this kind of corporate spying went on. This is insane. This is crazy. This is fun. Um, a lot of the shenanigans and hijinks that we did to get information are hilarious because they're just crazy. Like the German accent, the Irish accent, you know, uh, crying on the phone, you know, a lot of the women, the female spies would cry on the phone. Like I'm going to get fired if I don't get this information. And I would think there's no way somebody is going to give you information over the phone because you're crying and it worked every single time. So, um, so there's a lot of fun stuff in the book. Um, and when I was at this conference, it, it just, the reaction made me realize I had to write the book. It kind of had been in the back of my mind. So then I wrote the book. um, And of course I timed the book to come out right when the statute of limitations expired on any potential crimes that I may or may not have committed. Um, And the book got bought by Penguin Random House, which is obviously a really big publisher. And they have done a tremendous job marketing the book. You know, One of the coolest things was um, this man, Frank Abagnale, who wrote the book Catch Me If You Can, um, which was made into a really uh, wonderful yeah. movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks? Um, he read the book and he flipped over the book and he gave me a blurb, um, you know, basically a testimonial, which the publisher put on the front cover. So, you know, when Frank Abagnale, when the Catch Me If You Can guy says this book is fun, you got to read it. That was just a really great thing. And then also as a result of his his kind blurb um, Hollywood, uh, got wind of it. And now Ruse is in development for a TV series.
0: Really? Congratulations. Thank, are you gonna, you're yeah. going to be involved with that? Yeah. Or yeah. I'm
2: going to be in, not as an actor, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cause my uh-huh. acting days are in the past. I just write now, but okay. yeah, no, I'll be, I'll be, uh, you know, what they call a consulting producer, um, and involved with, you know, helping develop the stories and the content. Um, so yeah, guess- really
0: exciting. They'll be referencing you for any questions related to, you know, yeah. how did this situation go and stuff like that. That's really yeah. cool. Congratulations. So I guess everything worked out, you know, naturally, but also in a way that was completely in your favor, like people picking yeah. it up, the right people seeing it.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, again, uh, you know, I, I the, the one of the reasons the publisher bought it is they said, no one's ever written a book before yeah. that was a corporate spy. Like, you know, there's, there are dry books you know, like kind of more textbooky or, you know, uh, you know, but there's not, you know, yeah. Like what, you know, one of the reviews was very nice. Uh, I I can't remember if it was a New York post, but one of the reviews said that the book reads like a spy novel, like a spy thriller, which really meant a lot to me because, you know, the book is nonfiction. So it's, it's all true, but it does, it reads like a spy novel because it is, it is a spy novel, but it's everything in the book is true.
0: Okay, cool. Um, And I guess I wanted to bring this up, but I don't know if it's entirely related. You have another book that you released, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Which was about the terrible wildfire um, a couple of years ago. I live in Malibu and uh, we had this horrific wildfire that burned down, you know, almost half the town. Um, 17 of 19 homes on my street burned to the ground and and, um, my family, we fought the fire and saved our house. And then the L.A. Times asked me to write an essay about that, which I did. And then uh, a publisher read that essay and asked me to write a book about the fire, which I did. And uh, and it was a real labor of love because, you know, your audience, everybody thinks Malibu. Oh, everybody's rich and famous, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and I'm here to tell you that maybe if you live on the the ocean side of the Pacific Coast Highway by the beach, you're rich and famous. But, you know, up in the mountains and in the canyons, in the hills, retired firefighters and sheriffs and teachers and and broke surfers and elderly and those were the people unfortunately that lost their homes um and those were the people that came together in many cases and saved homes and and sometimes people stayed behind and saved entire communities by themselves and so i wrote a book to really show kind of that level of community and spirit in malibu which a lot of people don't even they have no idea
0: i'm not going to lie that gave me chills that's, that's insane. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, how, how did you do that? Fight I, how, fight, yeah, fight, fight fire. fire. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> did you had like a, a hose or. Like, yeah,
2: yeah. 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 You know, when I, when, when my wife and I bought our house, a surfer friend who who is born and raised in, in Malibu said, you know, you're going to have to fight a fire someday to save your house. And I said, what, you know, what I'm from Philadelphia. I, I figure you just call 911 and the fire yeah. department comes. And he, and he said, there will be no firefighters on the day of the fire. Um, one, because they'll be overwhelmed and two, because a lot of times firefighters will not come up into the hills and canyons because they don't want, they don't want to get trapped. They don't want to get hurt. They don't want to get injured. Um, and so basically you're on your own, you know, um, and, um, so we, you know, had a fire pump, we had fire hoses and we had a chemical called Foscheck, which is the same, uh, chemical that the fire department and the, and the fire and the, uh, fire planes drop on fires to put the fires out. And what you can do is you can spray your house with this stuff and it basically creates a gel, like a barrier. And yeah. so we sprayed our entire house and, uh, you know, our neighborhood was decimated, um, you know, two thirds of the homes were gone and our home was one of the few that survived.
0: That's incredible. I mean, was it like at that point, the fires came in and just because that protection that it had over it, it wasn't flammable at that point and it didn't catch? I, I mean, look, uh, you know, yeah. that had to be because,
2: yeah. you know, every home around us burned. Why did our home not burn? Because we Probably sprayed because. it with a post Yeah.
0: Okay. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to have to take a look into that because I, I remember reading, uh, I forget who it was, but someone was talking about their home got taken in one of the most recent fires in the last couple of years. And that just that stuck with me. But I guess um, uh, I mean, I guess what's next for you then in terms of I mean, off off of that book, but just in general for your career, are you still just focusing on marketing ruse and marketing Malibu burning or is there something else on the on the horizon for you?
2: Well, that's a great question. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm winding down the, the, the ruse promotion, um, cause ruse came out, I guess it was about nine months ago. And generally, you know, your publisher asks the author to, to promote the book for about a year. Okay. Um, and, and look, will still, I'm sure there'll still be other events because corporate yeah. spying is not going away. And anytime there's some big, like with the, the Chinese spy balloon, I got all these people reaching out to me, asking me to talk about yeah. it. Right. You know, so, uh, and and anytime there's a another wildfire people reach out to me to talk about it, right? so um, but yeah, so it, it it's getting close to time to move on. I have another book, um this one is fiction, and it's about a world renowned antique Islamic carpet dealer and his train wreck of a life, and it's called Sex, Rugs, and Rock and Roll.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that um I guess you're you're in development of that and is yeah that,
2: book, that that book is almost finished okay. and then as soon as it's finished uh, which will be any day then I give it to my agent and then my agent sends it over to publishers and says hey read this book you know it's it's kind of like ruse but it's this one's fiction it's about a con man you know with a heart of gold you know yeah. and uh, and how he goes from being not such a nice guy to turning his life around and they send the book out to publishers, and then hopefully somebody jumps up and down and says, "Oh, we love this book. We want to buy it." And then, and then they begin the process of of, of publishing it and, and getting it out to people like you.
0: And I guess, I mean, I know every book has to be good for it to you know get taken up and go into the mm-hmm. editing and releasing process. But because you've already had now a history of releasing two successful books, I guess that kind of helps you, right? And you made the right connections in that industry. Okay. Yeah, I think so.
2: I think getting the first book published is the hardest. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and especially you know if your books, you know, do well and they're well reviewed, um, you know, it just gets a lot easier each book. Yeah, because now you know people like okay, well we know Robert's books are you know good and we know people like them, so yeah, we'll buy this book. Yeah,
0: okay, makes sense. Um, Yeah, no, I wish you the best of luck on that one too. And also, you said you got you're going to be what a producer or. Yeah. Consulting producer. Cons- consulting yeah, producer. Yeah, their, yeah. Yeah.
2: And that, and that actually is a lot, it's, it's a lot more, uh, work and time than I, I think I probably initially thought, um, because, you know, I've got to do calls with the, you know, the production company and the, the showrunner and the head of scripted. And we do calls frequently, you know, talking yeah. about stuff. And, and it, it is, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fun, but I didn't realize how much time was involved. I mean, obviously creating a TV show. Right. But I didn't know, you know, for me, it would be as much time. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you assumed initially it would be like, all right, some some touch points just for them to get a better yeah. feel for how the time was and how you were feeling during that point. But they're yeah, yeah, I feel like with TV, I'll, they want all the details, so they're going to constantly be referencing you again and again.
2: Right. Well, you know, a lot of times what happens is is the the you know, the studio or the production company, they buy your book, it's called optioning your book, they option your book. And then they say, Okay, Mr. Writer, thank you so much. See you later. Bye. Yeah, and,
0: and then, then they do their own spin then, on it.
2: And yeah, and they do their own spin on it. But because this is a true story. And because, you know, they they hope the series runs for years, and they know they're going to need content. And they know, you know, my book is, you know, my book is only, you know, I don't know how many pages it is to say 300 pages. Yeah. It's not, it's not a long book. It's a page turner. It reads very, it's a fast read. Um, but they know they're going to need more content and they know, you know, in 20 years of being a spy, I have more than 300 pages of content. I've got 3000 pages of content. And so they want that other content.
0: Understood. Understood. Okay. So I guess the book, you are kind of just sharing the highlights, but there's definitely plenty more stories to go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, I guess this would be a good time to start wrapping it up, but I want to give you a minute or two, however long you want just to put out social media, reiterate the title of the, po- of the books and where they could get them, the listeners, if you want. Oh, to I,
2: pre- I, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I always tell people the easiest thing is just to go to my website. Um, it's my name, Robert Kerbeck, K E R B E C K, uh, dot .com. Um, you can buy Ruse there. You can buy Malibu Burning there. You can read a whole bunch of essays and different things I've written. And, um, the thing I, I like the most is you can see the trailer for Ruse is on my website, so you can get a sense of what the TV series will be like.
0: Cool, cool. I'm, I'm going to have to check that out myself. <laughs> I'm probably going to tune into the show. Uh, cool. Anything else? No, I think
2: it, that's okay, great. Cool. And you know, you can email me right from my site, um, and you can follow me on social media right from my site. Um, and there's no filter. If you email me from my site, the person responding is going to be me. Um, you know, I do all my own social media, you know, maybe I'm not the best at it, not the worst at it, but, um, you know, if you have questions, uh, if you're looking to pivot into a career as a corporate spy, let me tell you, there's plenty of work out there. I'll I'll help you figure out how to do it. (laughs) I I may be done with the business, but you know, if you, if you really, do you want to get your James Bond on, let me know.
0: All right, guys, anyone listening want, uh, want to get into that, just hit them up. Uh, but yeah, no, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on and sharing you know, your story. I think it's really unique. Like you said, there's not many books or stories out there, people being corporate spies. Yeah. Um, I mean, first I'll apologize for the lighting. I'm still getting used to my setup here. So the lines aren't that great. Maybe I'll have to move the desk around a bit. I know the lights all over my face this whole time, but it's all good. Still a great yeah, episode. Totally. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, you guys know where to reach us, black box podcast, no way in the black on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Black Box Podcast with an A in the Black on TikTok. And uh, yeah, everyone knows now we're on YouTube. So tune in to see this episode on YouTube, even though uh, my face will be all over the place. Yeah, you, Your hair looks good, though. I know you took time well, to do that before.
2: <laughs> well, it's funny. You look like you're in jail, right? You look like you got the, the bar bars. That
0: <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, uh, nothing you could do. It's all good. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll figure yeah. it out next time. But thank you so much again. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay. Thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it. Bye.